for me, when I'm tied, yes, it does feel like a giant hug is covering um, my entire body. It's protective and it is safe. It also allows me to still move, to still express a part of myself. So while it's it's very comforting, it's also freeing at the same time. Welcome back to another episode. I am very excited about this one. I've been waiting a long time to do it. Um, I'm thrilled to have my friend Sarah here, who is a kinkster and a rope bottom and has a really interesting uh, sexual journey, in my opinion, just an interesting life path and sexual journey. And I'm excited to hear all about her experience. So thank you for being with us. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, so yeah, we're going to start off, um, you know, I feel like in many ways you had a sort of traditional path around marriage to start off with. Can you paint a picture for us about just like, what was your, um, sex life like in your marriage, like from the beginning to then when, you know, when you transitioned out? Sure. Sure. Um, I, Initially coming into my marriage, I had the idea that I would have to have my quote unquote fun before I got married and then get married, settle down um, and continue the rest of my life with uh, the same person after, um, which is what I did. That's very much what I did. And after time went on. Uh, our sex life definitely waned. It was great in the beginning and then just went downhill. Um, I felt towards the end of our relationship that we really weren't connecting. We weren't communicating about our desires, our interests. It was just, for me, very obligatory and for him, a way to get off. And that was our sex life. I knew that I needed something more than that. Yeah, I'm glad you named that dynamic of obligatory because I, I do think that I'm curious if you can just briefly touch on sort of what what that was like for you. Like, oh, I'm I'm his wife, therefore I should have sex with him to keep him happy. Or what was the, or like, I know this is part of marriage or what was your thought process and, and what did that actually feel like for you to do? Right. At the time I felt that, um, wife was very much like a title. And with that title came a very specific definition. So within that box, it um, included monogamy. 
So only being with this person for our entire relationship, that also meant he was only with me for that entire relationship. So then therefore things like being a a partner to go out and do things with um, was in that box, but also sex because sex is a vital, exciting piece of life. And I was the only, um, only way that he would get it beyond himself. And so that became my role is that I was supposed to have sex with him as part of our relationship. Right. Almost like a provider. Like I provide this to you because I'm the only channel for you to get it. Right. Yes. Very much so. There's no other way to do it. So you mentioned kind of your reaching for more or wanting more, or, you know, can you say a little bit about what, what, what prompted you to kind of say, like, I want more than this. This isn't sort of enough, or I'm not growing or what was your journey around? Oh, you know, this, something has to change. Right. For me, knowing that I was feeling this, a um, obligatory feeling that this is what I needed to do. That was no longer serving me. Um, and sex is a vital part of my life as well. And I needed more than, than feeling like that obligation or him feeling the obligation that he has to have sex with me. Um, also I wasn't having the type of joy or passion that I needed. And I knew that I needed, I needed something else. I needed something else. Um, and I read a book that was very, I mean, I have a guess as to what the book is, but it's 50 shades of gray, but <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Cause millions of people, you know, this, that book instigated many, many, many people to kind of examine their sex life and try to determine like, is this part of what I want to do? You know, how's that going to go? What is it? You know, so tell us a little about that. What was it reading it like and what, what prompted, what happened? Sure. Um, so I had decided that I was going to read the 50 shades of gray, uh, series. And as I started reading through it, I became more and more interested in a lot of the pieces of it. And there were some elements of previous relationships before my, um, before my, my marriage that had some kinky elements to them. And I was remembering those things and I was excited um, to be reading about them again. Um, And it planted the seed in my head of, hey, there's something more that I could be having. And here's an example of something that could be more. As problematic as it is. <laughs> yeah, let's let's come back to that because I think a lot of you know, 
I, I consider you a pretty advanced kinkster. And I think it's important to touch on some elements that are maybe not so, um, they're a little problematic about that book, but let's, but let's continue in this vein. So you, you read 50 shades Mm -hmm. and it feels like you're sort of like, Oh, maybe I want, you know, there's something more I could have is, is a phrase that jumped out. There's something more that I could have that I want. And then what happened? How did you bring that up with your husband? Did you bring it up with your husband? Like what happened next? From that point, it became something that I knew I had to ask him. And I knew. And when you say you had to ask him, you mean, Hey, would you maybe be down to do some kink stuff? Yes. Yes. I knew I had to have this conversation with him again with the idea that he's the only one that I'm having a sexual relationship with. So if I'm going to have this kind of sex, I needed to talk to him. And um, so I had asked him if he would be interested in um, in doming me or topping me or which would be the person who is doing the action to the other person. So I was desiring at that point to, to be fogged, to be spanked, to have these things done to me. And so I knew that I had to ask him to be the other side of that, which was so scary for me. So I mean, scary. Terrifying. Like, how do you, people are so nervous to actually ask for what they want. I'm curious what your, did you take him out to dinner? Did you just like pop the question in the garage? Like, how did you actually introduce <laughs> We had a date night set up and we were just talking about life in general and things that we wanted for our future and things that we loved about our here and now. And I, I brought it up there like, Hey, just so you know, I had this idea and I would love it if, if you were interested in this too, um, or at least willing to try say? it. Yeah. What did you actually say in terms of idea? I have this idea. What did you, cause I think it's always interesting for people to hear the words. If you remember, if you don't, it's okay. But what, how do you, <laughs> so many people are like, how do I do that conversation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Initially it was, what did I say? It was something along the lines of, so by the way, I want, to ask you to be ultimately in charge in bed, like the book I'm reading, <laughs> which he was aware. He knew ultimately what I was. in charge is so good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know any of the terminology at that point. <laughs> it's like a superhero term or something. I want you to be ultimately in charge. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. okay so you so you bring this up and Mm -hmm. and is it fairly clear I mean does he know what you're asking what what's the response he said um he said yes there wasn't really a question um he knew what I was reading he knew what it was about um 
he had actually encouraged me to read it. Uh, I don't feel like he anticipated me asking, but like he was very encouraging of me reading the book and seeing what it was about, uh, it being so popular, particularly at the time. Yeah. Okay. So you read the book, you ask him at dinner, he says yes. And then what (laughs) do you do? What, how do do the two of you proceed? (laughs) Well, we went to the store. And we bought wooden spoons and a wooden fork. A fork? A wooden fork? Okay, now I'm really curious about where the story's going. Okay, continue. (laughs) We were living in, in a place that did not have a lot of access to a formal kink store of any sort. So we had to improvise. Uh, what we what we started out with, and so the the wooden fork and the spoon started out as um, something to spank me with, something for that initial impact, um, and then along with his hand, that was where we first started playing together. Like, what was this going to? How does this feel? And started our journey from there. I'm so curious. Did you just sort of just try stuff or did you take a course together? Like, you know, I'm wondering how, how you actually started out. Right. Initially, again, living in such a small town, we did not have access to a place to go. And there wasn't really people around me that I could talk to or that I could put a group together. So it was a lot of trial and error between the two of us. And so him being a reader as well, um, he while he did not read the same book I did, he started looking up information online on different things to um, that could that he could do to me or uh, different ways of interacting things to say um, things like that. And so when you say things to say, like, do you mean like name calling? Like you're my dirty little slut. Let's see how that goes. Or do you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dirty little slut or, um, or on the other side of it, like daddy's good girl or, um, and when you were, when you two were having these conversations, like, did he, was he the one who would say, Hey, what, how do you feel about me calling you this? Or were you sort of like, I would like you to call me this or like, how did it actually work in real life? Initially I came up with the words that I was comfortable with. Got it. Like I, Hey, I would love if you called me daddy's good girl. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, We had those initial negotiations and things just kind of blossomed from there. But again, it was just the two of us at that point. Um, Later we moved and other opportunities kind of opened up to us because of the community we were then living in. And 
I'm curious in your experience, like, were you experiencing more satisfaction in your sex life? Did this bring you two closer together? What was actually happening in the relationship? Yes. At the time it was very igniting in our relationship. It was something that both of us really looked forward to and were really enjoying about our life at that point and wanted to do more and wanted, you know, to try new things. So we were adding um, new ideas that the two of us were coming up with um, through trial and error. Some things worked really well. Other things were tried at once and I'm good. I'm not interested. Can you, I'm so curious because people don't really tend to talk about this. That's a really important concept, what you just brought up about experimentation. We're going to try some things and we're going to see how it feels and some things aren't going to work. And that can feel like it can be very shame provoking. I think for some people, like, what if I call her a name, she doesn't like it. And then she hates me. (laughs) Like what, what do we, you know, what do we do? I'm curious how, how can you walk us through one thing that was like, yeah, we tried it. I didn't like it. And you maybe shared that and it was okay. Like the two of you made it through that. Sure. Sure. Um, It was a sex position that didn't work. How graphic can I get? Girl, you can say whatever you're comfortable with. No limit on, on, on our side. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So an example of this was, He uh, tied me to a chair. My hands were behind the chair and tied up. And um, each of my ankles were tied to one of the chair legs. And he, I was completely naked at the time and my legs were open. Um, So he was using a spoon, that same wooden spoon. and um, hitting my inner thigh and my calf area all the way up with um, the idea of then using that same spoon on my crotch. Now, (laughs) he tried it (laughs) and I screamed, not a good scream at the time. And I, I stopped the whole thing and I'm like, no, I know that did not do anything for me. I know. And I could see it on his face that he was, that he was worried that as you had said that he had done something wrong, that, you know, he had ruined our, our newly found great sex life. And it was, it was me that was able to reassure him and go, you know, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, just let's not do that again. Yeah. The rest of it was fine. It was just that last snack mm-hmm. that, put me into a place that I was like, no, I do not like this. This does not excite me or doesn't turn me on. Yeah. And 
so yeah, it took a little bit, particularly since that was the first time it took a little bit for us to discuss back and forth and for me to reassure him that it was okay. That he hadn't done something egregiously wrong that you were never going to forgive him for. Yes. That's the, that's the fear is, oh shit. What if I do something wrong or bad and then I'm never forgiven? And I'm yes. shut out of connection forever. And that's, I think, an unconscious fear that a lot of us hold. If I fuck something up, I will be abandoned. So that, I think that's a great example of, you know, in, there was a way that you you were experimenting. It sounds like without a lot of guidance or direction or Correct. help from a community that can say like, so we're going to do this thing where there's a scale of one to 10 this is, a, mm-hmm. you know, you want to figure that out with your partner first. And these body parts are really, really sensitive. So you want to go extra slow and careful here, or, you know, th- you didn't have a lot of help. It sounds like you were kind of just trying things out and, and that's healthy. And, and when we experiment, sometimes it doesn't go well. And then coming back from that can be sort of restorative, right? Repairing from something like that can actually bring two people closer together than they were before. Because if we don't take risks, then we can't ever really repair, right? If we're not, if we're not trying, then we're not repairing. So did, did that bring the two of you together or how how was it for you two negotiating that, you know, experimenting phase? Yeah. At that point, it did bring us closer together. And the other piece of it too was, I couldn't quite put words to this until much later, but there was also that sense of he knew that I would say no. That I would, uh, that I knew what I could take, what I was interested in. Um, And if it went past that, that I would say no. And that makes you trustable. As a, as a bottom that makes you quite trustable. And it's also interesting because in terms of power dynamics, you were the one who brought this idea to him. And so I would imagine if I were your partner, I would feel a little bit safer playing with you because it's like, Oh, she actually does really want to do this. She's not just saying yes out of obligation. I think that's something that some couples have to figure out is it when, when one person is bringing it to the other, are you doing this because you want to do it or just because you're trying to please me? And there's a, there's a balance there, right? You have to both lean into trusting, trusting your no and your partner's no in order to trust their yes. Yes, absolutely. Particularly coming from that, that obligatory feeling before any of this started, because as I had said previously, that was what I thought I was supposed to do. Yeah. So then if you transfer that to this, it's like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do is just take it. Mm. Even if I don't like it. Mm. But there was that shift that happened between those two times, those two places in time. Mm-hmm. that I went from, okay, I guess I have to do this to actually I'm saying no to this and I'm okay with it. And ultimately he was okay with it and celebrated it. Okay. So 
It sounds really great. Now we we happen to know that this marriage ended. So I'm curious. Yes, yes it <laughs> did. We're all waiting with bated breath to hear like, it sounds like it's going really well so far. What happened? <laughs> I don't know how far I want to go into Polly because that's kind of like another piece of all of this. Yeah. I mean, it's your story. That's your truth. It's, you know, it's part of what happened. Okay. Okay. Um, so I moved from, um, from that place from that we were living to a new place to go to graduate school. And there I met someone who had more experience within a, within a community, specifically a kink community or BDSM community than we did considering we had zero. And there were things that I started to, to learn from him about, about kink stuff and different experiences that I was able to have with him. So, uh, pause. So you and your husband had been living together. Then you moved away for grad school and he stayed in the, where you were? No, we both moved together and you moved together. Yeah. We went to the same school. Okay. You moved together and you, you, Sarah joined kind of a BDSM kink community, meaning there were events, you know, maybe get togethers, things like that. Did your husband go too? My husband and I moved to another small town so that both of us could go to grad school. And that's where I met Peter. And we started a, um, that's where I met Peter and <laughs> so you're, yeah. Okay. Continue. Sorry. You're doing great. You're doing great. Okay. That's um, this guy, Peter. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he had more experience within a formal community, not where we were in school. But where he was previously, he a had formal, more a, a formal BDSM kink community. Correct. And I'm just curious, how did you, you know, you're in grad school, you're sitting next to this guy, Peter, how does kink come up? Like, how did you think, how, I, like, I want to know the details, like, Hey, by the way, I really like getting spanked. You know, do you have any experience with that? I mean, how, what, how did that work? Well, there was uh, a little bit of alcohol involved. <laughs> And <laughs> amazing. So it's like at a, a like a grad student happy hour or something like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. It was just actually between the three of us, my husband, Peter, and then myself. And we were no, it wasn't. I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story now. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Um Okay. So one night I was talking to Peter with my ex-husband. It was the three of us. All of us had been drinking a little bit and enjoying a little bit of time off of grad school. And he actually brought up, he brought up Polly first. Peter brought up Polly. 
like, Hey, this is a thing that I do or something like that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. And so that conversation began, um, very organically. So then a few nights later, I decided that I was going to tell Peter that I liked him. Again, coming from that monogamous like wife box, I actually apologized to him and said that if he thought I was flirting, I probably was. And then I was going to stop that. <laughs> and I'm curious at the time, had you and your husband talked about Polly? Like, where were you and your husband at this point in your relationship? We had not at that point because I didn't, that was not a road that I thought we'd be going down. It was more me deciding to speak my truth, even though it was scary. So me being honest about myself. And so that conversation blossomed into him talking about rope. So rope meaning um, shibari, which is Japanese rope bondage. So more of a, a formal way of being tied. And after that uh, conversation, the two of us started to, um, to do some rope stuff. And well, before any of that happened, there was that conversation with my, with my ex-husband about about this possibility, even though no sex would happen in any way, clothes would stay on. Um, Shibari is a sexual interaction, sexual, energetic sexual interaction. Yeah. Great way of putting it. So yeah. So that's how I took another step into, into kink. And talk a little bit, I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what did that do for you? What was it like being tied up? It feels like there's actually a lot of freedom, I think, that a lot of bottoms talk about. And I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit of what was exciting, what, what, what happened when you got tied up? What was, what was glorious about it? Sure. There's lots of pieces to it. Excuse me. There's lots of pieces to it. Part of it is the feeling of compression. So the rope is wrapped around you in a way that you're feeling compressed. Um, another example of that could be like using a weighted blanket. It gives you that compression feeling to it um, just in a different way. And so when you and Peter would, would, would play, I'm curious, like, did, was he leading you through this? Like, okay, we're going to do a scene, like what kind of tie do you want? Or here's an idea I have for how I'd like to tie you up. What, what did that actually, what, did, what was that actually like when you were starting out? Right. When I was starting out at that point, it was not, um, specific formal ties. It was more of a free flow interaction between the two of us that happened to involve rope. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
Okay. So let's, okay. So continue. So essentially it sounds like what I'm hearing is you are stepping more and more into the world of kink and BDSM and it's expanding your worldview and you're, it's giving you energy. It's exciting. It's, 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 I don't know, revitalizing or just like, it's a source of energy. It's a source of, of vitality for you. Is that is I'm imagining you're sort of walking in this direction and I'm imagining your ex-husband is like, I don't know about this. Is that true? What happened with that relationship? Yes, absolutely. Uh, That was very much kind of the dynamic of, okay, she has a place within this, this kinky world and I'm not for sure where mine is um, type dynamic. And at that point, we made yet another move. We moved a lot. And we came to a larger city that did have a community, that did have people to talk to, that um, had others to, had others that knew what they were doing and had been a part of the BDSM lifestyle long-term. Mm-hmm. So I'm imagining that I, I mean, you can walk us through this, but I'm imagining that you maybe went to some dungeons and saw some scenes and saw more of like, Oh wow, this is what those people are doing. And that just maybe widened your view. Is that true? Yes. Yes. It started out. We found out where the local dungeon was which is the place that people go to to have public BDSM scenes. And we were able to directly walk in and meet tons of friendly people, kind people. The first person we met was actually someone who um, showed us all of her toy bag. Just took out, ooh, I have this vlogger and I have this whip and I have, you know, all of these different things um, and laid them out on a table. Like, these are all the cool things that, you know, I use. Everybody has their own toy bag of really cool things. Some things are similar. Some things are completely different. And did you, were you going to this dungeon with your ex-husband? Yes, at that time. In the beginning, it was with, with my ex-husband and, and was he kind of a reluctant participant at this point or like what, what's happening in your relationship? Does it feel like, Ooh, I'm more into this than you, you know, do you feel really warm and connected? Like what's happening there? At that point we were feeling at odds with each other. We weren't quite certain what our relationship, where our relationship was going and what we wanted from it. But this, the, the kink stuff was things that we brought in. And the first time it really revitalized our relationship and our sex life, which was super exciting. So, you know, let's continue down that path. Um, So we started going together and did that for, for a little while. And then while we were learning things at the dungeon and trying new things with each other, both in the dungeon as well as at home, 
things weren't really getting better. So it was at that point that I would sometimes go by myself to the dungeon. He would sometimes go by himself to the dungeon and our relationship fizzled. Okay. And then at some point it was sort of like, this isn't working. Like we're not growing together in this way. This doesn't feel tenable. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then, and so I I believe that during this time, you're still, you've maintained a relationship with Peter. The two of you have been in touch. Is that true? Yes. Okay. And um, as you are moving more kind of into this world, you know, one of the things I find interesting about the dungeon space is that it is public, right? If you play at a dungeon, people can see you. Can you talk a little bit about, was that intimidating? Was that exciting? Because some people will go to a dungeon and they don't play. They just watch. Right. Um, and at, you know, for some people, it's really exciting to have people watch them, et cetera. What was your sort of experience of like, whoa, like people are doing things that we're witnessing and, well, they know a lot more than us. And, you know, what was that like intro to that world like for you? It was, the word I like to use in- is intoxicating. Like walking into the dungeon for the first time, like I saw two people being tied up and suspended from from the ceiling. I saw somebody else um, on a bench being um, spanked with all kinds of different things. I saw somebody else um, doing something called fire cupping. And all of this was in this one giant room. And so just seeing all these different things that people are doing, it's like, wow, this is a whole new world that's opening up. And it was exciting. It was really exciting. There's a question in there that I don't think I answered. (laughs) You're doing great. It's totally great. I mean, I think you named it. It's sort of like, wow, look at all of these things that are possible that I didn't even really know about. That's what I'm hearing is you can be tied up and fly from the ceiling. Like (laughs) that looks fun (laughs) or whatever, you know, your experiences. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that sense of, you know, do you feel like there was a separation where your ex-husband was sort of like, this isn't as exciting to me. Like, I don't, I'm not as lit up by this or was he lit up by different things or like, how did that work? He was lit up by different things and in different ways than I was. I completely gravitated to being tied up and being suspended from the ceiling and having those interactions. And that wasn't really his interest as much. And... Yeah, that created a mismatch between the two of us. And so at that point, I had become more established within the dungeon. I knew people. And there were people that would serve a role known as a service top, which means that 
they would be the person tying you. In my case, with rope, it would be this person tying me, but there wasn't an emotional or physical connection. It was more, I can tie you from them. And from me, it was, I want to be tied. So there were those opportunities that I found. I could ask people if they'd be willing to tie me. And and can you say a little bit about, you know, you, you know, are you clothed? Are you not clothed? They tie you, you know, and then what? You're just walking around tied? Like what, you know, <laughs> what happens? I think for people that don't know, they're sort of like, and then what? Like, does someone go down on you while you're tied? Is it always sexy time? It's not, it's not always sexy time, right? Being tied doesn't right. necessarily mean doing something sexual. So can you say a little about an actual, you know, you go to the dungeon, you want to be mm-hmm. tied are you being tied to a thing? And then are you just watching the rest of the action while you're tied? Like what, what would be a, an example of something that you would want to do? Sure. Sure. So I would ask somebody to tie me and then between the two of us, we would be able to negotiate what is each person comfortable with. So if I am always wanting to be clothed. That is great. That is definitely valued and appreciated. If I want to have less clothes, if I just want to be in a sports bra and panties, that's great. As long as the the top then also agrees that it's all right with them. So it's it's all the negotiation between the two people and coming to the common agreement of what both of you are comfortable with. So from that point, it would be being tied up in a variety of different ways. There's many schools of, of ways to tie Uh, So for example, when you were starting out, was it like, I want to have my arms tied behind my back and, and then you would walk around the dungeon, like continuing to look at scenes or was it like, I want to be fully tied to a chair and, you know, but I don't want anyone to physically touch me. Like, I just want to be tied up. You know, can you walk us through just a little bit of like, this is the experience I'm wanting to have. And then why were you wanting to have that? What, what did it do for you? Sure. I very much wanted to be suspended, which for me meant being tied to a hard point that is connected to the ceiling securely, that has no problem with bearing weight. In my case, I wanted nothing on the ground, so I'm completely hanging. And so the the person that I had asked is, was very well um, suited to do this type of tie. There was no problem whatsoever. And so he was able to tie me up and then suspend me. And at that point, any number of things can happen. 
you can be you can be twisted and turned so you're spinning in circles from the hard point you can be looking directly at another scene you can be um you can also do things called transitions so you're up you're in one place and then ropes are moved so that you are then moved into a different position and all of that is negotiated ahead of time what you're comfortable with but also in the middle of it things can also change if you think that you want to spin and then you try it and you go mm, no i feel like i i'm getting nauseous that's great and so when you were starting out i would imagine it was you know if i imagine starting out it's more like i want to try this i'm not sure exactly where it's going to go so will you tie me and suspend me and then we'll see where it goes is that allowed what you know yes absolutely absolutely so they tie you in a har- i'm imagining some kind of harness something that's safe so that your body will be suspended and you won't have constricted blood flow or these are all things that you you learn when you're working with rope right is how how do you tie people safely so that it doesn't chafe right using the right kinds of rope we're not going to go into all of the details of rope but you know but the service top that you're talking about has knows a lot this is an experienced person who knows what they're doing they're they're tying you in a certain way so that you can be suspended do you want to try spinning etc cetera, etc cetera. is there a sexual element to that you mentioned service top which mm-hmm. makes it sound like there isn't um I think for a lot of people, when they think about BDSM or they think about a dungeon, it feels like it always has to be about sex or orgasm, but that's not really the case. Is that true? No, it's really not. It can be any sort of intimacy or sexual level, again, that the people involved agree to. So you can stay completely clothed the entire time. Do any activities you're interested in, completely clothed, nothing is touched in your genital area, breast area, um, nothing at all. It can be completely non-sexual. And did you, on your journey, did you sort of start out there and then move more into sexual or what was your path like? Yes. For me, I started out wanting wanting some opportunities that I had when I was younger as a dancer. So I was used to being picked up. I was used to being off the ground. And when I was younger, it was a person who was doing it. And I wanted a similar experience, but in rope. And in in the rope case, no one was holding on to me. It was just the rope that was securing me. That was making me feel safe. And I want to, yeah, I've read a decent amount about this and I think that it's worth, you know, reiterating that there is, there can be a feeling of being held 
a feeling yes. of safety, a feeling when you said that word compression, can you say a little bit of just about your emotional experience of, of being tied up as a way to feel held? Yes. Yes. Um, for me, when I'm tied, yes, it does feel like a giant hug is covering um, my entire body. It's protective and it is safe. It also allows me to still move, to still express a part of myself. So while it's it's very comforting, it's also freeing at the same time. I'm glad that you spoke to that because I think there's a perception of rope bondage. I think we have a very narrow perception of it as a, as a culture, unless you're actually in the scene or doing it of it's for one thing, which is I tie you up so that I can control you. And we have a power dynamic, right? A top bottom power dynamic, and I'm doing things to you, et cetera. But in my experience, talking to people who actually engage with it, it's way more complex. And there's more of that sense of what you're talking about of peace, safety, security, feeling held, you know, compression, like it feels good to me separate from you sometimes in, in, you know, in experiences with you for sure, but also just separate from you, just, it feels good to me. And I think that sometimes gets missed. So I appreciate what you just said there about, you know, feeling protected and, and actually feeling held by the rope not necessarily by the person who is engaging in the rope with you. Because something that I noticed was, you know, you talked about the service top, which is sort of like, hey, can you tie me up in this way? I'm interested in doing this kind of scene. They say, yes, you kind of negotiate and then you do the scene, which feels very different emotionally from your experience with Peter, where you and Peter had a connection. And you, you know, you were saying that the rope was something that you were engaging in, but with the connection that the connection was really important. And that's a different dynamic than. Yes. Yes. For us, it was definitely the feeling of the rope was a physical form of our connection and that interaction. Okay. So fast, let's fast forward to you and your ex-husband now are sort of like, I think we're going to part ways. Just, this isn't, you know, take us a little bit through that. And then what happened after that in your exploration of your world is opening up, you know, you're learning all of these things. You're still in touch with Peter. What happens for you? Sure, sure. Uh, Peter and I continued our relationship uh, at that point, long distance. And... Meanwhile, where I was living in Kansas City, I continued to go to that that same dungeon. And for me, I just kept showing up was the big piece of it. And I continued to ask the same people, hey, would you be willing to tie me? And after a while, those people were like, were then asking me, hey, do you want to be tied tonight? And so being able to continue those opportunities. 
that followed by some of those riggers doing different and just to pause a rigger is a term for someone who is tying someone else with rope so the person who's doing the tying is the rigger and then the rope bottom is the one that's being tied yes yes so some of those riggers were doing uh, a variety of different classes in the dungeon and sometimes needed a a person to be there for the demo. And so then I was asked to be part of that demo. And then other times there were performances and I was asked to be part of those performances. And I was in a very fortunate position that I was able to do all of these things and have all of these experiences as well as going other places and being tied and meeting awesome people. You know, it's interesting. And what I'm, one of the things I'm realizing during this is it's very rare for us to have shared sexual space in our culture. And Mm -hmm. I think the BDSM dungeon is one of the only places where we can go and kind of witness other people in their sexy processes with no judgment and no shaming, but just sort of like, oh, wow, look at what they're doing or look at what this other option is over here. Because there's such a sort of closed, you know, we do our thing behind closed doors. You do your thing behind closed doors. There's not a lot of shared sexual space in in our So there's something unique about, you know, being able to go and witness and maybe try some things and, and that spirit of experimentation and there being classes. And just, I think that the perception we have of a dungeon is very much, you know, whips and chains and people with masks and, you know, it being sort of dark and scary, but actually there's a lot of shared humanity and wisdom and friendship that I, you know, I have gathered from my friends that go that feels very different from, I think the perception of what that world is. Does that feel true? Yes, very much so. Very much so. And previous to this, I've been discussing kind of one extreme, which is completely closed on non-sexual whatsoever. And then yes, then the other extreme is sexual interactions, gratifications, uh, enjoyment, pleasure. And for me, it definitely went the joy and the pleasure and personal self-exploration. I, coming into the the kink community, it was like, yes, I want to try that and that and that. And I was able to feel more pleasure coming from my body in so many different ways some that I never even imagined was feasibly possible before I just did it before I said, okay, yes, I will try that. Um, and, um, so a couple of questions. One is, so like scale of one to 10, how kind of sexually expressed did you feel in your marriage before 
introducing any of these elements and how sort of expressed do you feel now? Sure. Um, in my marriage at the end, I would, in my marriage before we started kink, I would say I was maybe a two. So not very comfortable, not feeling like I was getting a lot out of it. And now I would say I'm at an eight or a nine, just because I'm so curious what more I have inside my body. I know, I know I'm not at the the most pleasure that I can possibly have. And I, I want to know more. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of getting towards the end here. And I'm wondering, you know, for people that are listening that are like, wow, this sounds kind of intriguing. I'm interested in maybe figuring out if I would be a rigger, like someone might be like, that sounds really interesting tying people up. That sounds fascinating or being tied up or, you know, can you walk us a little bit through the etiquette of, um, finding a dungeon, what it's like going to a dungeon solo or in a pair, right. In a couple, uh, what is, what is that world like? Should people sure. be intimidated if they feel intimidated? Should they start with a class? You know, what would you recommend? Right. So there is a a website called FetLife, which is social media for kinksters, for people into BDSM. And that would be the best place to start both introducing yourself within a community because there's for most big cities there's a page and you can introduce yourself hi I'm new um curious about this world about this lifestyle um and also on FetLife you can find different um Events, classes, courses. <laughs> you can find different events on on FetLife as well of things that are in your area or close to your area. You can look it up that way. And in many places on Friday or Saturday nights, they have different kink nights. Some of them are very based around specific activities and then others are just a broad, a broad experience as well as things called newbie nights. So an individual could go to a newbie night and have a similar experience that I did the first time of, you know, there's somebody going, Hey, here's my toy bag. Here's the fun stuff I like to use. Um, and also they usually have a BDSM 101 class within that, which gives you overall basics of how to check in with your partner. If you're the top, check in with the bottom. Like, was that too hard? Was that too light? Are you okay? And they also talk to you about something called aftercare. Aftercare is an experience after a scene where 
your body is starting to settle down again, is, is calming down. And for some people, they want to be held or cuddled or have a discussion about the scene or have water brought to them. Everyone's aftercare is a little bit different. So in those BDSM 101 classes, they had those conversations too. They also introduced the the DMs, who are the dungeon masters, who are the individuals, usually volunteers, that walk around the dungeon during playtime to observe and just make sure everything's okay. They're the safety person within, within the dungeon. If anything should be going wrong, they spot it and they can help. They can come over, they can help in any way that is needed. DMs are amazing and so valuable to any dungeon experience. Um, One of the first things I went to was a once a month rope class. And they would teach a particular tie or a particular set of ties. Um, You could come by yourself. You could come with a partner. It didn't really matter. Usually they could team you up with somebody who um, can be the other side. Either be a regular or be a robotum. And teachers who are very experienced are there to show to show others how to do these ties safely and securely and watch the the class as they practice it and practice it and practice it again creating that that sense of safety and also that is something you can directly take from that class and then go, Hey, I'm going to come back on Saturday and I'm going to try this in the middle of a dungeon night and have that experience. And then slowly increase the things that you, that you know, and that you can draw from, from your experiences. Yeah, and I think it's important to to sort of yeah, sort of name that everyone is invited and included and I feel like there's a there's a spirit of inclusivity <laughs> um that I've experienced in that world because we are still talking about the fringes of what society says is normal, right? We are still talking about um practices that are sort of seen as weird in some way. And I think that there's a way that um, folks that are interested and, and, you know, are, it feels like they're extra welcoming of, of new people. Of course, it depends on the dungeon and it depends on the scene and, and everything, but it feels like there's a spirit of inclusion of we are sex positive here. We are interested in including rather than excluding or shaming or, you know, we're, we're interested in safety. We're interested in consent. 
We're interested in how we actually do that, checking in all of that, you know, together. And we want everyone to feel safe and comfortable. It's important. It's important to us. That's how it feels to me observing that. And I think that part of what I'm noticing about this discussion that feels really different from 50 shades, which I do want to touch on before we wrap is they, they, I don't think they ever had a sort of, um, consent conversation in terms of like, okay, what are you looking for? Where are your limits? You know, what are you wanting to experience? There was very little actual dialogue about that. There was very little, like, this is a two. Are you thinking like a six tonight? What are you, you know, what are you wanting? There was not a lot of that in that. And they were quite isolated. They weren't part of a wider community. They didn't have a lot of guidance. There was just sort of Christian doing his thing. (laughs) And, you know, can you, can you share a little bit before you wrap about your, your thoughts as a pretty advanced kinkster looking back on that uh, story? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, First off, I wanted to touch on the inclusivity within a dungeon. It is very much the idea that all kinks are welcome, regardless of what you're into. Um, It's, it's appreciated. It's encouraged. Um, and you will definitely find at least one other person that is into the exact same thing, which is amazing and awesome. And it is such an environment where people are invited to talk about those things that are taboo, that are Things that you can't really talk about any place else. And that is one of the magical things about a dungeon. Is you have that opportunity. Unlike Christian and Anastasia, who did not have a dungeon that they went to. They only had their house. (laughs) And yes, as you said, they're... There was not that opportunity for Anastasia to learn what she could do and what she couldn't do. There was not, there was not the consent conversation. There was not an opportunity for her to learn what she could say no to and give her the real opportunity to decide what she was okay with which is one of the my biggest issues with with that book series and and in real life I'm curious you know there's a lot of different ways and a lot of people have heard of safe words but I did just want to talk about briefly the um, traffic light system which is green light yellow light red light so if you're doing a scene or you're, you know, in a, in an environment, you can say green light, which is, this is going really well. Yellow light is, Ooh, I'm approaching an edge. I'm maybe not there yet, but I'm getting there like yellow light, maybe slow down a little bit. Right. And then red light is stop in real life in scenes that you've been a part of. Have you used that system or what have you used to kind of have a feedback loop between the top and the bottom? Right. So I will use an impact scene. So again, being hit with a flogger, with a spoon, with a hand, any of those things. For me, I prefer those 
snacks done either on my ass or my upper back. Now, sometimes things happen and things get smacked lower or higher than I'm used to. Me as the bottom, as the person having these things done to, I could say yellow left leg. And that would indicate to my to my top, oh, wait, I went too low on her left leg. That isn't stopping the scene. It's just communication of, hey, by the way, this happened. And that's partly because the two of you have had a conversation before where you, you've talked about it and, and they say, so where do you like the impact? And you say, yeah, like you said, I like like ass <laughs> and then upper back, you know, I don't really like lower back and I don't really like below my thigh, sort of mid thigh and below kind of hurts a little bit. So <laughs> there's, there's some communication before. So it's not just like random, like let's do a scene. There's some talk about what you like, what you're looking for, etc. So when you say yellow left leg, they, they, they have context for that. They understand, oh yeah, that's right. Not below the mid thigh. Right. Right. Or let's say I need to move something. Um, I could say, you know, yellow pause, and then I could move my body to where I was more comfortable. And that again, just tells them that they are pausing that that's not the end of the scene. And it allows me to communicate what it is that I'm needing changed. So that's what the yellow light is. Then there's the red light. Red means automatic stop. If I'm in the air, if I'm in rope in the air and suspended, that means the rigger gets out their knife and they cut me down then. It's not, oh, could we negotiate this? No, it's hard stop. And the same thing goes for an impact scene. If something has happened that I'm not comfortable with or I become very emotional unexpectedly or in a different direction than I was anticipating going uh, two, and I am ready to just stop what it is we're doing, red light. And, and have you ever called red? Have you had that experience? Yes. Yes. Um, in both cases, I've called red and I've been tied down. I'm sorry. I've called red and I've been cut down. And I've stopped a scene. The beautiful thing of that too is both of those tops that I was working with had no problem with it. They did not take me calling red as something that they did personally. Mm -hmm. It was simply a, this now is over, period. Yes. There's a phrase, uh, particularly and common in BDSM of don't break your toys. And so it's the idea of, for instance, if I do call red, that partner that I am working with would probably like to work with me again one day <laughs> at some point, which means don't break me. 
don't break me to the point that I would not work with you again. Don't break the trust. Yeah, exactly. Because again, it's all about consent. Every bit about it is consensual. And I'm curious, you know, when you did call Red, and I know we're wrapping up soon, but when you did call Red in the the time when you were emotional or it went in a different direction, did did something trigger feelings of like, overwhelm or I feel a little out of control or like, and then what happened? Did someone hold you? What was the, what happened after? Right. For me, it was a feeling of overwhelm or specifically like I wanted to run away. I no longer wanted to be there and a part of that scene emotionally Logically, again, completely consented, completely there. And that maintained itself. But yeah, but emotionally, I went to a place of I'm done. I'm done. And I was able to have that conversation with my top. And I told him that I needed some water. And so he walked away from me giving me that opportunity to be by myself. But I wasn't the one that was fleeing. But I still had that freedom. I still had that option of being away from the scene of where I was. And then when he came back, gave me water. And at that point, I wanted to be held. I wanted to be cuddled. And I just wanted to cry. To have that catharsis, to have that feeling. And that worked so well for both of us because it also gave that top the opportunity for their own aftercare, for their own um, emotions and feelings and brain chemicals to, to go down to normal. Right. Because that, that I think it's, it's, it's a good example of when, when someone says no, it can be a lot for their system and it can be a lot for the system who's receiving the no. Oh, did I do something wrong? Did I go too far? Am I bad? Are they going to want to, you know, play with me again? You know, just there's, there can be a, a spiral on both sides. And so part of the vital importance of aftercare, like you said, is that both people are able to be soothed. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about BDSM is it feels like there's a culture and a spirit of self-awareness, cultivating self-awareness, knowing what you need, knowing how to say what you need, providing what other people need. But there's a sort of element of self-advocacy that is learned and I think transmitted in that community that's really helpful in general, just being able to know what you need and 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 say it, ask for it, advocate for it is such a huge life skill that we are not taught. And it seems like it is, it is taught <laughs> in that community. It's extra important. And so not in 50 shades, but in, in actual <laughs> BDSM communities, <laughs> there is that, um, it's very much part of the culture. Yes. Yes. Very much so. And the key word that I heard you say is the word learned. It's not something day one, I walked into the dungeon going, I know every single one of my boundaries. I know what I'm okay with in all ways. And this is going to be 
what I'm okay with and my boundaries forever. No, it was something that was created through trial and error. Yes. And the biggest piece of that is accepting accepting yourself in that learning process. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. And not going and not beating yourself up because wow, I had that reaction and I wasn't supposed to. Or, you know, is my top going to be mad at me because I called red? Is my top going to be mad at me because I got bratty? Or, you know, I snapped back at them when, you know, they didn't expect it. Like, those self-conscious feels to them. And, And part of that learning process is going, hey, I know who I'm playing with. I know I'm not perfect. I know that I'm growing and that I'm growing within this lifestyle and finding out these pieces. Yeah. So I just want to reiterate as we're starting to wrap up, if, if you're interested in this world, you know, I think there's a lot more accessible now than maybe what you were describing when you started out. So even if you live in a more rural place or an isolated location, there's lots of stuff online now. Um, FetLife, I will drop into the show notes. So FetLife is the sort of social media place for kinksters. And you don't need to feel like you're already there. Even if you're just interested in exploring, it's open to you. It's No one's going to judge you just because you haven't done anything or you're new. You will often find that you're welcomed because you are new. And um, I'll also drop just a little bit about Shibari in the show notes, which is Japanese rope bondage. Um, And is there anything else that you can think of that I should include for people Uh, learning? Not that I can think of right now. Okay. Those are the big things. And then if you do have any more specific questions, you can always get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. And I can probably, probably hook you up. So yeah, so as we wrap, I would love to hear just what is one of the biggest things that you've learned about yourself through this whole process? One of the biggest things that I've learned about myself is to try new things because they can be really amazing and completely eye-opening. That's a great place to rest. I love it. And if you are interested in uh, my work, my work with Jason Lang, you can go to evolutionary.men slash training. If you're interested in going deeper than the podcast and you want to take our free training, that is available to you at any time. If you've been looking for a men's group or a little bit more support, any of the things that we've talked about in other podcasts, that's a good place to start. Again, that's evolutionary.men slash training. And you can always get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, one thing that I forgot to mention before is before we were able to go to any dungeons, we had to go through a vetting process. This is to ensure the facility to know who is in the building, but also it allows everybody in there an extra sense of safety and security while you're doing scary things. Um for us, we were able to find a 
weekly gathering or get together in kink. They're called munches. And um, able to talk to somebody there at the munch in order to get vetted for the dungeon. Those activities are also on FET. 